Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. How many agree he's worthy to be praised today? Right? The name of Jesus is worthy. It is so good to be together today. Stay standing for just a moment. We're actually going to worship some more after the message, so we're not done worshiping today. I think it's a good day to worship. Would you agree? So stay standing for just a second. I want to read a passage to you. Last week I read during worship out of Hebrews chapter 12, I read verse 1, which talks about how we need to throw off everything that entangles us, the sin that entangles us, so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But I want to read verse 2. I want to keep reading a little bit to get us rolling. That was verse 1. Verse 2, which will help us get into our message today, says this. So we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to notice some words in that. It says, for the joy. Everyone say, for the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Sometimes if you read that and you're not paying attention, you might think Jesus thought it was, the cross was joyful. But that wasn't the case. I mean, nothing about the cross was joyful for Jesus. In fact, he prayed at one time, if you remember in the scriptures, for God to make another way. Jesus felt everything that came with the cross. He didn't have some superpower that made the cross you know, not, not, not affect him. No, it affected him. It was hard. He felt the pain of the cross, the struggle of the cross. He felt the terror and the horror of the cross. He felt it all like you and I would. He felt every bit of it. He didn't like it, but he set joy before him because he knew what was going to happen through the cross. And you guys know what that joy he set before him was? It was you and me. It was the joy that he knew that through the cross, he would be able to save you and me. He delights and he joys in your salvation, in who you are, especially when he can reconcile him to, your, to himself. That's the joy. How many of you guys think that's a pretty good thing? Right? We can be thankful. But I want you to catch something. How many know that you don't need to like something? You don't need to like something in order for you to be able to see the joy of what's on the other side of it. Jesus set joy before him and he endured the pain knowing that it was worth it because joy was coming. I think we can talk about that today. I think we can talk about that today. I think we need to talk about it today. So I just want to pray. Jesus, we give you this day. We invite your Holy Spirit to come. We thank you for the name of Jesus that is worthy to be praised, that is the name above every name. And Lord, right now I pray, I pray that you would stir up our passion today, that Father, you would stir up the gratitude in us, that you would stir up anybody in here that has need, that they, that maybe they don't even know they're in need. Would you show them that they need you today? I pray for anybody that's sleepwalking today. Would you wake them up today, Father? Would you show them that, Lord, you have more for their life? That God, we aren't just going through life, that Lord, we can, we can go pursue a life with you. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your word today, it would stir us up, it would provoke us, it would push us out of the mediocre and the mundane, and that we would step into the lives that you've called us for. Thank you for each person that's here today. Lord, we give you this day, we ask that you would do only what you can do. We pray these things in your name. 
And everybody said, amen. amen. Don't, stay, don't sit. You're like, are we standing the whole time? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to smile right now. I want you to take a, make a really big smile. Smile, smile at me. I want to see the biggest smiles you have. Now hold that smile and look at the someone next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here. Then you can take a seat, all right? <laughs> I'm so glad you are here. For those of you watching online, for those of you listening to the podcast, I'm so glad all of you are here. In fact, when I think about our church, it makes me smile. It makes me, it puts a big smile on my face. And it, I mean, it's just one of those things. Have you guys ever known someone who smiles like all the time? Like they smile so much it makes you frown. You know what I'm talking about? People that smile too much, they can make you mad. You're like, you, you're too happy. You're too joyful. I need you to just ch chill out, right? You guys remember, right, uh, Will Ferrell and Elf, right? He shows up to work and he goes, his boss says, why are you smiling like that? He said, I like smiling. Smiling's my favorite. He says, you know what? You need to make work your favorite. That's your new favorite, which is very American, right? Quit smiling, get to work. One of my favorite biological realities about, about our human body is that it takes 73 muscles in your face to frown, but only 14 muscles to smile, which is like, okay, so it sounds, it's almost as if we were created to smile. The other thing that's very interesting is that we have 73 muscles in our face. I'm trying to work those out. So today we are in part nine of our series, There's More. There's more muscles in your face. That's what we're talking about today. No. The title of today's message is More Joy in a Culture of Despair. More Joy in a Culture of Despair. How many, how many of you believe that we need more joy, not only as people, but in our culture? Anybody agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think for most of us, we are probably tired of a culture that constantly seems to live in anger, right? Or a culture that seems to live in some form of jealousy or shame. We live in a culture, and the word that I'm choosing today is a world that lives in despair. And we'll talk about despairing in a moment, but I think we would all agree that we live in a country, we live in a nation, we live in a culture where being happy is deep in our cultural code, right? It's, it's, it's such an American ideal, right, to be happy. Tomorrow is July 4th. How many are you excited about July 4th, right? Happy birthday, USA. Happy birthday, America. I love our nation. Thankful we live here. We got to call this place home. But we all know that in the Declaration of Independence, our forefathers wrote on July 4th, 1776, that we have the right to be happy. You guys remember this statement? I'll put it on screen. Here's the exact quote. We know this. We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent, that from that equal creation they derive rights inherent and inalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? Yeah, that's a great line. And this is obviously over 200 years old. 
And it reminds us that happiness is at the basic core of every human desire, right? We want to be happy. Or maybe the better word is we want to be joyful. It's coded into our nation's DNA. I want to show you what C.S. Lewis said about his desire for happiness or about humanity's desire for happiness. He says this, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Whoa, that's the other side of happiness, right? That human pursuit of happiness can be deadly. It can push people out of the way. It can do whatever it takes to get what you want. And nations have went to war with the belief that this war will make our nation happy. People have start, started things like prostitution and slavery, believing that power and oppression will provide ultimate happiness. The pursuit of happiness without God ends in chaos, destruction, and despair. This is what's happening, and this is what has happened in human history. Without God, happiness, and more specifically joy, is an impossible ideal. It's impossible. There's actually an entire book in the Bible of a man's attempt to find happiness and to find meaning. And he tries everything. A guy's name is Solomon. Solomon's the richest rule in the world of his day, and he decides to just put God to the side. He decides that I'm going to try a life without faith, and I'm going to pursue everything else to see where there's meaning, fulfillment, and joy in this life. And he does it all. He, he's, got the, he's got the resources to build an empire. He builds palaces and parks and, and buildings. He, he tries women. He has 700 wives and concubines. He tries food and, and drink and partying and fun. He tries everything everything. And at the end of his pursuit and his experience, he says this, he says, it's all meaningless. Every bit of it, none of it matters. Everything's empty. Everything, nothing works. Nothing made him happy. And ultimately he found out what he should have knew all along. He says this at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He says, now that all has been seen and heard, now that everything's been experienced, he says this, here's the conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon says that after everything, his big aha about life and meaning is that a life without revering and fearing God, because God is our maker, that a life without that is, is meaningless, that we must follow, we must obey, we must trust in his way. Solomon says, listen, Life is empty of meaning and joy without God. In other words, without God, it's despair. So let's talk about what the despair is. Let's, let's, what's that word? The definition of despair is complete and, excuse me, the complete loss or absence of hope. The complete loss or absence of hope. You know, I think our culture is teetering on absolute despair. We're losing hope. More and more people are not only losing hope in society, losing hope in government, losing hope in other people, but I think we would also say that more and more people are losing hope in God. Maybe they've even lost it already. 
I read an article this week about the crisis of despair. Some health experts are calling the crisis of despair a true health dilemma because it's claiming that American deaths are on the rise due to a state of despair that people find themselves in. They have no hope. Suicide deaths, forms of alcohol and drug abuse deaths that are attributed to a or, or a result of clinical despair. And so here's what I'd say. I would say this to a room this, of this many people. If you're in a desperate place of despair, if you're wondering, is life even worth living? I'm losing hope. First of all, I just want to tell you that hope is not lost. No matter your circumstances, there is joy on the other side of your suffering. You can set joy before you. Jesus showed us that you can do this when he endured the cross. And so today, I believe we always have this good news. We have the good news for those who need it, that we have hope in Jesus, that he is our living hope. It's alive and it's active. And I also know, though, that some of us, maybe we haven't lost all hope. In our brains and in our beliefs, we believe hope exists, joy exists, but we wake up in the morning and we don't feel it. Instead, we feel versions of depression or anxiety and we don't wake up happy or feeling joy. And we wonder, is it, where is it? How do I find it? So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk for a little bit out of, out of the book of Philippians. Philippians was written by the apostle Paul, right? And he was, it was written to an ancient Greek city called Philippi. Paul had planted a church in this city a number of years ago. And you can tell through the letter, if you read the whole letter, that Paul loved the church at Philippi. They perhaps his favorite church. I'm sure he told all the churches he planted that they were his favorite, but then he would wink at the Philippians. He's like, you're my favorites though. And you can kind of tell by the way he writes this letter. This short letter is, is considered potentially the most joyful book in the Bible. There, there are 16 references to joy or rejoicing out of just 104 verses. Paul talks about a lot. And if you consider where Paul writes this, it's even more powerful. Paul writes this as he often did his letters from prison. He's in jail. Most scholars believe it's the last jail that he was in before he was executed. So he has every reason, every reason to be angry at his circumstances, to be freaking out at this injustice that he was, in, he was having to endure because he had no, no reason to be arrested, much less a death sentence put over him. So his circumstances are unthinkable. They're full of despair, yet in this letter is absolute joy. So I want you to imagine today, I want you to imagine Paul sitting in jail. He's alone. And as he's sitting there alone, his mind begins to think about those people that he's been with in life, the places that he's been. And while he's sitting there thinking about this, the Philippians actually send Paul a care pack. <laughs> there was a guy named Epaphroditus. You got to say it real slow and del deliberate. He talks about him at the end of the Philippian letter. He's thankful that they had spent, sent Epaphroditus to bring him a care pack, meaning when you're, in, when you're in prison, if your family, your friends didn't give you food or necessities, you were going without. And so they sent him one, and he's very thankful. He's in jail, and gratitude begins to fill his heart for these people who love him and that he loves. 
You know, a number of years ago, I was, uh, I visited a guy in jail a few different times who I had actually met at church the, the day before he went to jail. I had given a sermon and he came and told me that during church that day, uh, the Lord had strongly convicted to turn himself in on a warrant that had been out for his arrest for a number of weeks. So the short version of the story is, I gave a sermon and he decided to go to jail. (laughs) It was that bad or that good, however you see it. My messages don't always set people free. That's all I'm trying to say. (laughs) Sometimes it does the opposite. You never know what God's going to do. And I'll seriousness know it was actually quite powerful to see God move in this man's life, for him to get real and to get honest. But until that day, I didn't know him, right? I didn't know him. And so I decided after we had talked that I would go see him in jail. And, and I was talking to him and I was kind of doing the phone thing through the glass and we're talking and, I, and I'm just really concerned. I'm like, man, this guy, this is rough. Like, how are you? How are you? And he's just like, Tim, you don't understand. I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful for God. I can't quit reading the Bible. I'm so grateful for all my friends and my family. And I'm sitting there going, like, as he's sitting in jail, right, gratitude is filling his heart. It's filling his soul. I want to read these words of Paul in Philippians from his jail cell, all right? Philippians 1 verse 2, grace and peace to you, which I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to remember that one. (laughs) Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Everyone say with joy. joy. He's praying with joy while he's in jail. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from from the first day until now. He's like, we've been doing it together. We've been pursuing Jesus together, and it makes me happy. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. you got to think about this. No matter what is between now and the end, God is promising to complete it. So you can set joy before you no matter what happens in between, right? God's got you. And then he says in verse 7, Is it right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have been, since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel out on the streets, you know, doing his thing. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul, he's in prison, right? And he's, I mean, everything has been taken from him. He has nothing. And it doesn't call him to despair. It actually calls him to be grateful, He says, I thank God every time I think of you. I pray with joy when I think of you. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in the pit of despair, but oftentimes at that point, you start to see things more clearly. And a lot of us haven't had that experience because we've never hit the low of the lows. So we don't know that when you hit the low of the lows, how it makes you grateful. But it's true that sometimes in our lowest moments, that's when we see things most clearly. Paul is in prison and it causes him to be grateful, causes him to express love. And it makes me think of my friend that I met in jail and he was in jail at his lowest moment. It caused him to be filled with gratitude. 
I was thinking this week about a conversation I had with a mentor of mine a few years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't long before he had passed away, and we were discussing, we were literally discussing kind of the turmoil and despair of the world. This is a number of years ago, believe it or not, that's been going on a while. And we discussed not only that, but we discussed his health and the concerns that were going on with his health. And he said to me, and I'll never forget this, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very simple statement, but he said, it's times like these that make you grateful for what you have and who you have. He said, it makes you cherish the ones you love. And I remember feeling the truth and the affection that he had when he said that. And it's similar to what we're seeing right here. Paul is suffering and he's thinking about who he loves. And in this case, it's those that he suffered for Jesus with. It's his church family. It's his brothers and sisters in Christ. It's his spiritual family that he fills his heart with gratitude, affection, and joy. And can I just say, that's what I long for churches to be in this world that is losing hope, that they would be that place of affection, that we would, we would have a, a, a joy that fills our heart. I'm a bit of a broken record on this, I admit, but we want, and want, we want to be a spiritual family here. You understand that, right? Spiritual family is one of our six values as a church. We believe that you cannot do, do faith on your own. So we reject the notion of an individualized faith. We believe you can't do it on, do it on your own, that we must do it together because we are better together. So when I think about this church, I'm grateful, not only for the things that God has done, but I'm grateful for all of you. You make me smile, right? You make me smile. And here's the thing. I know that a lot of you feel the same way if you've been here. I hear this all the time. I'm so grateful for our church. I'm so grateful for our church family. I love our community. I love that I found a place I belong to. I love that I can go to a place that loves Jesus. I hear those sorts of things all the time. How many of y'all are grateful? You're grateful for this church family. You're grateful for spiritual family, right? And here's the thing. God has already done so much for us, but I also know that he's going to do so much more. I believe that. I think you believe that. But sometimes simply remembering what God has done, that gets me started on the grateful train. I remember when we didn't have any idea if this church was even possible. You know, when Christy and I stepped out to do this, we said, you know, what if it doesn't work? What if we lose all of our money and we're penniless? And the only people that ever show up to go to church with us are our four kids. You know, we had a safety net. We were like, well, if we get to that point, we'll just move in with our parents. How many of y'all know that I'm grateful? <laughs> I love my parents with the affection of Christ Jesus, but I'm grateful, right? I'm grateful. Who's grateful? That God never leaves. He takes us forward, right? Here's the thing, a, few bun a bunch of people, a, a group of people stepped out with us in those early days. Some of you are still here, and you remember this kind of stuff. But we started coming together, started building a community, serving our city. And I remember for about two years, we had no idea, like, if we were going to get a building, if what we were thinking was crazy, if we were dreaming the wrong ways. But we kept trusting. I remember sort of just, just believing, like, okay, I have no idea what God's going to do or if God's going to provide, but... But we just believe that he would. And God has not only provided, but he's done immeasurably more. God has done so much for this church. And I would I proudly say that this is not a man-made church. This was a church born of prayer and spiritual community. And I give God all the glory for the things he's done. Right? But I can't just think back to what he's done. I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. Right? 
How many of you believe that God's not done doing? I know I already asked you, but how many believe that God's not done doing? Yeah. And when I say that, that God's not done doing, we have to believe that what he's doing is not only going to be good, but it's going to be for our good, that he's going to carry on a good work that he started into completion. So you know what I'm doing when I believe that God is not done doing? I'm setting joy before me. Yeah. I'm putting it ahead of me. Because I know on the other side of any trial and any struggle I face in between now and then that joy is coming. Listen, we have to plant seeds of gratitude in order for joy to grow. When I'm grateful, when you're grateful, we're planting seeds in the ground that believe joy is going to spring up. This is important. In other words, joy isn't what we have available to us. You don't just get joy. It's not the seed that God puts in our hand. Joy isn't what shows up just because we ask God for it. No, joy is a result of something growing in us. And as a result of planting gratitude and expressing gratitude through, our, through words and through praises, we start to see something grow in us. But many of us do the opposite of gratitude. Do you know what the opposite of gratitude is? The opposite of gratitude is comparison. Comparison is the great joy killer, by the way. Instead of being grateful, what do we do? We wonder, why do they have that? Why doesn't my life seem as good as theirs? Why, why are they going on another vacation? Right? Why did he get that job? How did she get married? Are you serious? That's what, I didn't say it, you said it. I'm quoting what I've heard. See, here's the thing. No matter who you are, there's someone you can compare yourself to that will rob you of gratitude. The enemy uses comparison to snatch the seeds of gratitude right out of your hand and to rob you of joy. Sometimes I can do that with our church. I just told you how great our church was, but sometimes I can do it with our church. I ha we have a great story, but you know what? I can look around and be like, man, why are they growing more than us? Man, why isn't God moving here like he's moving there? We pray. What's going on, God? God, why? look at that. That church is crazy. Look at how much crazy stuff they've done. They're, it's terrible what they're doing, but yet you're still blessing them, God. Why, why did my friends leave here to go over to there? Like, I can do that. You can do that. It's not just about church, right? It's about, about your career. Why don't I have that career? What, it could be about marriage or family. Why is my family not like their family? Do you see what they get to do every year? They, they, they all went down to, you know, the Bahamas together. Why can't we do that? Like we compare, right? Comparison is the great joy killer of our day. Comparing is like we just look back and forth. We're like looking around, what, what about them? What do they have? Who, do they, who are they? What do they have? And instead of doing this, like we should just be doing this. Because when we do this, guess what we're not doing? We're not fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So instead of doing this, maybe we just need to start looking up to him, putting our hands up in the air and saying, God, I'm going to plant the seeds of gratitude that you put in my hand and I'm going to trust you for the joy that's coming. You see, you see, this is the problem. It's like, we just want God to give us joy. He's like, listen, I'm not going to give you joy. Joy is called a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. 
It's a fruit, meaning it has to be born from something that you're going to do. And I'm going to put the seeds in your hand, but if you don't plant the seed, guess what? You don't get any fruit. (laughs) So we don't necessarily choose joy. We choose to recognize the work of God, past, present, and future. And we choose to plant the seed of gratitude. I told this story about five or six years ago. I'm getting to that point in my pastoring. I got to start <laughs> recycling stories. So if you've been with me, buckle up. Year one to five is about to hit you. <laughs> oh, man. I'm trusting God's got more coming, though. God's got more coming. About five or six years ago, though, Grayson was probably three years old, and we got in a conversation about what he wanted to do when he grew up. And he said, I'm going to be a pastor. And I said, oh, you'll know you're not. No, sir. You don't dream about such things. I'm just kidding. I didn't say, I didn't say that. He says, I'm going to be a pastor, and our church is going to have a prayer room. And then, of course, we start chuckling. We're like, are you talking about our church, right? And one of the girls asks, is your, are you going to be the pastor of OKC Community Church? He said, oh, no. I'm going to be the pastor of Praise God Community Church. <laughs> I was like, man, here's Grayson at three years old, one one upping me on the naming of the church. He's like, dad, church isn't just about community, you know. It's about praising God. Hello. You know, I'm like, yeah, you got this. How many of you guys like Praise God Community Church? I'm praying about it. It's not that hard to do a name change. This, (laughs) This is an important time in the history for the church. They're like, this is an hour for the church. Like, who are we going to be? How are we going to actually be the church the best way we know how? How are we going to do this? Well, I'll just tell you, one thing we can't do is we cannot despair. We cannot lose hope. The, the, the culture around us is doing enough of that on their own. And quite frankly, there are some in the church that are piling on right along with it. There are many people of faith that are losing hope. They think all hope is lost. The culture is lost. The world is lost. And so they're just doubling down on dividing lines. And despair, despair leads to things like rejection and judgment and hatred and giving up. See, when we compare, we're going to go back to compare. When we compare, we do the same thing. Like these sort of jealousy comes up. These are the seeds of despair. If you want to plant seeds of comparison, plant seeds of judgment and hatred, losing hope, that's going to spring up despairing. But when we compare, we despair. That was for free. It's a good line. Paul was in prison. And 2,000 years later, I can feel the joy coming from that man and from that prison cell. That's what's amazing about it, right? I can feel his joy. He's like, you cannot take my joy from me. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, You can do whatever you want to me. And for him and his situation, he's like, I have a lot that's happened to me that's not good. There's a world around me that's not going all that good. I don't like it, but you're not going to steal my joy. That's not going to happen because I have a joy that's set before me that I'm going to believe in. And he's going to keep sowing the seeds of gratitude. That's what he's doing. Even as he's writing this letter, he's like, listen, I am in chains, but I have learned what it means to be content in every circumstance. You see, we will endure hard things. We will go through hard things. We will have tough circumstances, but you can 
have joy before you. Paul says, I will praise you. I will give thanks. Paul even takes it a step further. and He says, I will even rejoice when I think of you. I'm going to give, I'm going to have joy, not just for the things God does for me, but I'm going to have joy when God does stuff for others. Now, I would never take away anything that some of you are going through, have went through, will go through. Here's the thing. We will go through hard things, sad things. We will walk through all sorts of seasons that are very difficult. But the encouraging thing about even when Paul is in jail at this moment, that he was about, and he was about to die, he was still rejoicing in others. We need to learn to celebrate when good things happen to other people. Instead of just comparing and getting jealous, sometimes we have to see past our own circumstances and to realize that God is moving all around us. God is doing things in other people and in other places and in other churches, and we need to celebrate that. We have to get past this whole notion that if something bad is going on in my life that I can't still feel the joy of the Lord. Bad things can happen and we can still feel the joy of the Lord. We can still embrace the fact that we can rejoice and be glad every day, that God is moving every day. There's something worthy about God to be praised. Because you got to believe that your season is coming, not just the bad stuff, but the good season's coming. God's not done. Your circumstances are not finished. God said himself, I mean, Paul wrote it, that God is going to complete the good work he started. And we need to celebrate, and we need, and we need to rejoice, and we need to praise. So I need to, I need to wrap this up. I want to look at how Paul closes his letter in Philippians. It's an amazing exhortation, this whole letter. Obviously, Paul says a lot of amazing th- things between chapter 1 and 4. We're not doing a whole book study today, but I am looking at the beginning of the letter and the end of the letter. So this is what the end of the letter is saying. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read a number of verses here, so just stay with me. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This is, this is an amazing passage, so lock in. Let it speak to your heart. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. He's speaking this to a group of people, right? He's speaking these truths and this encouragement to a church. He's like, listen, I got some good news for you. With thanksgiving, be praying. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he said, finally, brothers and sisters of Praise God Community Church, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's like, I want you to plant those seeds in the ground. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, go ahead, put it into practice. And the peace and and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's talking about how Ephroditus had come to bring him a care pack. I'm so happy about that. 
And I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I didn't even need anything. For I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it means to have nothing, to be at the lowest point. And I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it means to be flush and doing great. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul is like, listen, I know how to live, and I'm about to just tell you, I'm going to let you in on the secret. I know how to be content. I know how to rejoice in every day no matter what's going on. No matter if I have a bad circumstance, no matter if the world is despairing, I have a secret I'm letting you in on, my favorite church, Philippi. He's like, I want you to start thinking about the amazing things of God. Anything excellent or praiseworthy. He said, I want you to place that before you. It's planting the seeds in your hand even when you're not in the mood. Sometimes we're not in the mood to give praise or give thanks. We just, we just aren't. But if we want joy in our life, if we, want, if we want a garden of the fruit of the Spirit being born in our life, we have to plant the things that God puts in our hands, the seeds that he puts in our hands. And you know what that means? I don't, I'm not in the mood, but thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for my church. Thank you, God, for community. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you for my house. Thank God, thank you for what I have. God, thank you for what you did for them. Hmm. God, I'm still waiting, but I'm going to thank you anyway. I'm still waiting for my thing. I'm still waiting for my healing, but I'm going to praise you, God, because you healed them. Thank you for their healing. God, thank you for their marriage. I'm still waiting on mine to get fixed, but thank you for theirs. That seems to go home great. God, thank you. Thank you for the, for, for the job you gave them, the new opportunity you gave them. Thank you for the way you, you use them for your kingdom, for your purpose. Thank you. God, I don't want to be jealous. I don't want to be comparing my life to theirs. I don't want to look at them and think, why did, I, why did they get it and I didn't? I'm not going to do that, God. I want to thank you for them. I want to rejoice. I want to thank God every time I think of them. We have to plant the seed even if we aren't in the mood, even if it's not about us. We have to set joy before us. I want to show you something. I was cleaning out my, uh, I just, you know, part of my office, I guess. I don't really have an office. I don't know what it is. Just a room, just a place. And I have, I had a bunch of booklets and all this kind of stuff. And I uh, was throwing a bunch away and I found this one. And it, it's on the screen and it says grateful on it. And uh, this was a journal we did a long time ago in our church, like year two or whatever. And uh, we did a series called Grateful. It was a four-week series. Simple idea with this journal. It was blank, by the way. So I was like, oh, I get to, I get to do this now. And uh, the idea was just simply this. Hey, over the next month, it was a four-week series, we want you to write down 100 ways that you're grateful. 25 a week. That takes a while. Most of us don't know how to do 100, say 100 things we're grateful for, by the way. And I was just thinking, like, what can we do from today that could be something that you take from a message? Because so often we walk out of a sermon, and we're like, oh, that was good, or that was bad, or whatever. We give our, you know, we give our rating scale at lunch, like, ah, it's okay, whatever. <laughs> I don't care how you feel. It could have been a one or a 10 today. It could have been a, you know, a negative five. But you can still do something with it. 
you can still do something with it. And here's what you can do. You can just say, you know what? I'm going to plant some seeds of, of gratitude this week. And so my challenge today is what if you just did a little bit of this challenge? You know, back in these days when we gave this out, when I think about our circumstances, listen, we didn't have much. We didn't have much of a re- We didn't have any resources. We didn't have a building. We didn't know what was the future was. Here's the thing. We didn't have much of a worship team. It was quite the thing. But here's the thing. Like we were experiencing the start of a spiritual family. And I was so grateful for that. I was so grateful for that. And you have seasons in your life when you're like, I didn't have much, but I was grateful. Listen, you can be grateful every day, every season, no matter your circumstance. And so this this week, what if you're just like, I'm gonna jot down 25 things that I'm grateful for. Or maybe you wanna go all the way. I'm gonna jot down 100 things that I'm grateful for this way. And I would say, don't just think about them, write them down. Write them on a piece of paper, write them in a journal, type them in a phone, whatever, type them on your computer, whatever works for you. Tell God, maybe even tell others. And see if it doesn't bear the fruit of joy in your life. So I wanna pray for us and then we're gonna worship. So I want you guys go ahead, let's stand together as we pray. Like I said, we're gonna worship for a little bit today. Y'all thought you were showing up on a holiday weekend. We're just gonna skate by. No, man, we wanna do some Praise God Community Church stuff today. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes. God, we're grateful today. I pray for all of us that no matter our circumstance that we can find ways to be grateful. What's interesting is this isn't even a message about gratitude. This is a message about joy. But Lord, we know that in order to be joyful, we got to plant the seeds of all the good things you've done and that you're doing that we're grateful for. And so, Father, I pray for anybody that's feeling despair today, anybody that feels like hope is slipping through their fingers, anyone that feels like God is a mil- that you are a million miles away. I just pray right now that you would just start to pour seeds in their hands. So that, Father, they would start to know that not only are you near, like the word says, the Lord is near, but that, Father, we can can rejoice and be glad, even if we're not in the mood. With your heads bowed, if you need need to set joy before you today, maybe the easiest way to say it, if you would admit that you need more joy in your life, would you just lift your hand? No one's looking. Lift your hand if you're like, "I, I just really need more joy. Like, it feels feels a little dry. Raise, lift your hand one more time. There you go. That's so good. You can put it down. Well, Father, I just want to pray. I want to pray for those of us who need joy, but I would say this to everybody. Joy is only possible in a life with God. Life without God ends in chaos and despair. Jesus is the source of joy. So today, if you need Jesus in your life, I pray you would be courageous enough to come and talk with us, to humble yourself before God, place your life in his hands. Secondly, if you need joy today, may this be a catalyst for you to just start planting the seeds that God's put in your hands, to start building a garden of joy to spring up. Tell God all the ways that you're truly grateful. It's time to fix our eyes on Jesus, to quit looking back and forth and to just look up. 
God, we give you praise today. We're grateful. You know, as we sing, this altar space is going to be open. You can come and just pour out your praise. Pour out your thanksgiving. Even this morning, you can start right now. Our prayer team will be here for those who need prayer, for those who just need God to just meet them in this moment and you want to pray with someone, please come. But Father, we give you this time. We open up this time of response to you. It's yours. We sing these songs as an anthem of praise and thanks. It's in your name we pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.